who simply would like to share her story. And with that, I'd like to give you Max O. Hi, my name is Max, and I'm a happy member of Al-Anon. And every time I get up, I think, what am I doing here? I, anyway, I, I certainly wouldn't have come to Al-Anon on my own. Uh, Paul always says I give the perverted version of his story. And I remind him that I was the one that was sober. Another thing that I don't usually tell jokes, but I think this this explains part of the Elman program. You call it uh, detachment, I think, back here, don't you? Well, we call it release with love, which I think is a softer way of saying that. Anyway, uh, there were there was a woman went to a, a play in New York when it, uh, it was Phantom of the Opera when it was hard to get tickets for. And another woman eventually came in, and they had, there was an empty seat between them. And they got to chatting, and finally the second woman said, isn't it a shame that the seat is empty when tickets are so hard to get? And the first woman said, well, that belonged to my husband. And she said, oh, well, where is he? And she said, he died. And the second woman said, well, that's too bad, but couldn't you have gotten a relative or a friend or someone to go with you? She said, they're all at the funeral. Now that's detachment. <laughs> anyway, I wouldn't have come to Al-Anon in a hundred years, uh, and uh, I certainly didn't take to it right away. I'll tell you, uh, I um, I knew Paul drank, but I didn't know how much. I just thought he was crazy, and uh, so my solution was to try to find him a psychiatrist. Well, he wouldn't go. So I went, and I, and I, you know, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. The first one I went to, I just sat there because he didn't talk. None of them talked, as a matter of fact. I went to four different ones. They just sat and waited for me to say something. And um, the last one I went to, I got Paul to go to. Anyway, the first one I didn't like him at all, and uh, everything I said, he laughed. And I didn't think the things I was telling him were very funny. And uh, so after I went to him for about six months, Paul decided that I was such a mess that he was going to take me over to Westwood, which is part of Los Angeles, and have me hypnotized. And so naturally, uh, I went. And that guy, I think we went six weeks, and he never did hypnotize me. And I, I understand you can't be hypnotized if you don't want to be. And that, that was the way I felt. Anyway, then he sent me to somebody in Anaheim, because that's where we lived at the time. And then I went to him for a while, and then I quit, and then I tried somebody else. Anyway, I ended up with this guy in Long Beach, the psychiatrist. And uh, I would go very early in the morning, because I didn't want to run into anybody I knew, because it seemed to me that every time I started uh, with a psychiatrist, Paul would start sending his patients there. 
And I worked in the office that I, you know, I didn't want to run into them. So I, I would make my appointment very early in the morning and leave by a back door. And uh, the last one wanted to see Paul, like I said, and uh, he, he didn't want to go, but he did go with me. And he stayed in his office about five minutes and said, I have nothing to say, and that was the end of that. And I think a short time after that, I, I quit going to the, the uh, psychiatrist. In the meantime, Paul was introduced to AA, but before that happened, um, one Sunday morning, I was showing Paul some rust spots on the floor in our family room, and all of a sudden, he was on the floor having a convulsion. Now, I'd never seen anybody have a convulsion before, so it terrified me, and I called the doctor the next block, and finally he got there. By that time, Paul had awakened, or whatever you do when you come out of a convulsion. And uh, so Art said that he wanted him to go in the hospital, and he called an ambulance, and when the ambulance came, Paul would not go unless I rode in the ambulance with him. And when we got there, he wouldn't stay unless I stayed overnight, too. So, anyway, we were going to the hospital. He was on the staff off, so they let me. And I know I complained the next morning because the nurse came in real early, about 6 o'clock, to take Paul's blood pressure, and I grumbled about that. I wasn't interested in waking up that early, and Paul told me to be quiet. So, anyway, um, he, he, didn't, he was going to a neurologist then about his, his uh, convulsion, and the, or the uh, neurologist told me that he either had a brain tumor or early senility or something else. So I was focused in on that. And Paul also told me he had a brain tumor. So, you know, if he said it, it had to be true. Um, I learned on Al-Anon that just because somebody says something doesn't necessarily make it true. Not for me. Anyway. So uh, I guess it was 14 months later, I was sitting in the living room watching television one Saturday night, and uh, all of a sudden I heard a noise back in the bedroom, and I walked back, and there's Paul on the floor having a convulsion. So I sat down on the edge of the bed, and I watched him. (laughs) I was an old hand at this by then. And when he awakened, or whatever they do, I said, you've had a convulsion, you better go to bed. And in the meantime, everything that happened, I would call this poor neurologist. And I think he's probably sick of me, but anyway. um, So I called him the next morning to tell him about Paul's convulsion. And he said that that he was going to send Paul back to the Mayo Clinic. And it took a month for Paul to get in there. And... uh, and during that month, he changed his mind, I don't know how many times, whether he was gone or not, but eventually we did. We had our two kids, went back in December, which was a wonderful time to go back to Minnesota, and um, we stayed in this old uh, hotel across the street from the Mayo Clinic, and you could go, you know, in tunnels over to the clinic. And I don't know exactly when I um, made up my mind I was going to get in and see that doctor because I sure hadn't told anybody else about how weird Paul was because I thought, my God, you know, he couldn't practice medicine. How would we live on if if people knew? (laughs) So anyway, um, a thing that made me aware was there was a young doctor in our town and everybody in the medical community anyway knew 
that he had a drug problem. And uh, Paul used to get up every night and take something. And I, I wasn't so conscious of it until this fellow died. He died at 35 from drug overdose, overdose I guess. So anyway, when Paul was going to go to the Mayo Clinic, I decided I was going to talk to that doctor back there. So he started through the clinic on a Monday, and it took me to Thursday to get up enough courage to go over and try to see this doctor. And it was a huge room, a waiting room. I, it seemed as big as this. I, I doubt very much that it was, but it seemed that way. And I went up to the desk and talked to the girl and said that I wanted to talk to the doctor, and she let me in. And I told him that Paul was taking pills at night, and I don't know what else I told him. Anyway, it was interesting because I did that, and after I did it, I didn't remember that for six years. And what I remembered uh, after six years, and I finally I told Paul, I think a year later after that, I didn't know what he'd say because he ended up in the nut board. And I knew he was in the right place. Um, <laughs> So anyway, uh, he ended up in the nut ward, and I, I went over to see him. I think it was the day before Christmas, and he wanted out. And the only way he could get out is if I would agree to take responsibility for him. And I didn't know whether I should do that or not because I felt this was my last chance to get him medical help. And so he told me that if I didn't agree, he'd never speak to me again. So what could I do? I didn't know what a good opportunity that was. <laughs> anyway, so uh, he finally was able to talk me into, uh, oh, he said that, that he, you know, he just wouldn't speak to me again, and I don't know what all he said. And so I finally agreed, and he got out, I think, on Christmas Day, and we couldn't get out of Rochester till the next day, and he had promised me that he wouldn't, he wouldn't drink anymore and he wouldn't take any pills and I don't know what all he promised me. We got on the plane, had a big fight over whether or not he'd drink the free booze. I won. He didn't drink, but he wouldn't talk or eat either all the way back to California. And when we got back, he bought himself a bottle of scotch and drank it all. And the next morning I was up, oh, I don't know, 4 o'clock, I think, and I really didn't know what I should do. And um, finally, it was 9 o'clock, and I could call this neurologist and tell him what happened. And he said, do you think he'd see a local psychiatrist? And I said, well, I don't know. It sure didn't work before. But anyway, when he got up, I guess around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I asked him, and he agreed, much to my surprise. And uh, so I don't remember. I'm a little hazy about what happened then, but I... I think it was at least a day or two before we were able to get into that psychiatrist. And he talked to Paul for 45 minutes and talked to me for 10 minutes and locked him up in the local nut ward. And I could go see him every day for an hour, every night an hour. And um, it seemed to me that he wasn't in there very long at all until the psychiatrist had some AA coming and picking Paul up and taking him to AA meetings. And I thought, what, why are they taking him to AA? You know, they don't put crazy people there, do they? Or do they? Um, anyway, he was going to AA, and uh, I uh, went over to see him. I don't, I don't remember either when this was exactly in the three weeks he stayed there. 
on Saturday night, and this AA fellow came in, and uh, Paul introduced us, and Frank said, we're going to an AA meeting, would you like to go along? Well, I didn't have anything else to do. So anyway, he took us to Laguna Beach, and uh, I, I know I was so afraid going down there, being afraid we'd run into somebody we knew, and luckily we didn't for a year. But anyway, uh, I really enjoyed the meeting. I had no idea. I mean, it was a real fun group. They used to have a visiting group come in there on Saturday nights, and uh, so you'd get a lot of different stories. And I identified with the feelings, not, not the stories, although I drank with Paul for many years. That was another thing the psychiatrist told me when I went over to see Paul. He said, I don't care if you drink, but don't drink in front of him. So I quit, and it was no big deal. Um, and I, I drank every day. I drank, in fact, I had to, to keep my sanity. I, <laughs> I, I would come home, I worked, like I said, I worked for Paul, and I'd come home from the office and open up a half quart of beer, and that's the way I got dinner every night, because I, I, I knew that I would go to sleep if I drank that beer. And then I didn't have to worry. And thank God I could sleep through all this. That was the only thing that saved me. Also, I turned off all my emotions. I didn't feel anything. And so anyway, um, like I say, the, the psychiatrist locked Paul up, and he stayed there three weeks. And I don't know how often this guy picked him up. But I thought this guy was a real kook. You know, he... He took us to Laguna Beach from Orange, I guess it was. So it took about a half hour or a little more to get down to the meeting. And on the way down, he was telling us his story. And he was talking about his wife, uh, and he had broken up. And then she, got, uh, she took uh, guitar lessons. I think he gave her to her for Christmas. And uh, then she ran off with a guitar teacher. And I thought, my God, what have we gotten into? You know, this. heard a lot of all the crazy stories after that. Anyway, Frank also had this Alanon gal call me. And um, so she would call me a dozen times a day. She finally talked me into going to an Alanon meeting with her. But I, I didn't feel I had time for all these phone calls she was making. And I got so that I would tell my kids to tell her I wasn't there. Well, she finally got a hold of me and told me she knew I was lying. And I told her what she could do with Alamon. And I had gone to three meetings. And uh, I don't know that I heard anything. But anyway... Um, so I quit Al-Anon, but I continued to go to the speaker meetings with Paul. He'd go to Tuesday, no, Wednesday and Saturday night. Every week, that's where we'd go. And I, I was fascinated. I never heard a lot of funny stories. And like I said, I hadn't laughed in a long time. And so I enjoyed that. And then Paul would say to me, well, let's go to a movie. And I'd say, oh, no, 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 let's go to the AA meeting. <laughs> I like those better. And I identified with the feelings of the alcoholic, but I, I guess that's just part of being a human being. And uh, so anyway, I didn't go back to Al-Anon. We had a Southern California convention in Anaheim that year, and I think it was in October, first part of October. And um, I don't know why I did this, but I went over to the Anaheim Convention Center 
to the Elanon meeting, and Paul didn't go, and I usually didn't go places by myself, but I remember sitting in the back of the room, and one of the gals who had ridden in the car when I went to those three meetings came up and said, why don't you sit with us? And I was very grateful to Martha because I certainly didn't feel a part of. And I, maybe that's why that joke's so important to me. There were four women talking on release with love. And that was the first time I'd heard anything uh, like that. And um, so anyway, I decided that maybe I, Paul didn't know what Elanon was, so he didn't bother trying to get me to go. And I'm grateful because I think if he had, I still wouldn't be here. Anyway, so uh, I went to the meeting and really enjoyed it, and then I decided that maybe I should go back to Elanon. And, um, but I thought Laguna was too far, and I tried some meetings closer to home. I think I went six weeks, and I didn't get anything out of that meeting, so I guess I heard more than I thought I did. It seemed to me there was some woman would come in and talk about her ex-husband who was living around the corner, with another woman, and even I knew that that wasn't helping me or anybody else. Anyway, so I decided I would go back to Laguna, and I was scared to death because that's always been a big meeting. I think there probably at that time there were around 70, 80 people. Now we have over 100 every week. A lot of drunks around Southern California. And um, anyway, I would go in and try to find a seat. They had tables set up. And I tried to find a seat where they wouldn't notice me. And it seemed like wherever I sat, that's where they started. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to say, you know? So for over a year, I would say, my name is Maxine, and I pass. And I think those women thought I was never going to talk, and I sure didn't think so either. But anyway, uh, we went to the International Convention in 1970 in Miami, and... Um, Al-Anon brought out a new book called The Best of the Forum, and the forum is like the grapevine only for Al-Anons. And my mistake was I bought that book. And it had said, it's your responsibility to share with others that others had shared with you. So I got to feeling guilty, and I thought, well, okay, the next time somebody asks me to talk, I'll talk, because Paul had been starting to talk after about a year. And by that time, I'd been around four years, and um, anyway, and I thought, if they don't like me, they don't need to ask me back. And they didn't for a long time. <laughs> anyway, that's how I got started to talk, and I never planned on doing this, I'll tell you. I mean, I, I was barely talking at the meetings, let alone getting up and talking in a crowd like this. Anyway, eventually I got comfortable in that meeting, and even though it was big, and um, got to know some of the people, and, and, uh, and I'm grateful for that. I finally had to write that woman who had taken me to those three meetings and thank her, <laughs> even though I wasn't very thankful when she did it. Uh, uh, eventually, she quit Al-Anon. Um, I don't know what happened, but anyway, she didn't go anymore. And I'm still going. So you never know. And you never know what somebody would hear, you know. Um, anyway, I, I'm grateful that I was taken to that meeting. Uh, maybe some of you know Elsa Chamberlain. Well, she started that meeting and went to it a good many years. I think we just had our 38th or 39th anniversary. 
and um, so it's still going on and, and of course she has died um, and I, I've learned a lot on Al-Anon things that I never realized before I mean everything was either black or white there were no in-betweens today I have a lot of in-betweens a lot of gray areas and that is a lot more comfortable I'll tell you anyway um, like I say I've learned a lot of things um, and I, I get them from different people not necessarily people just on Al-Anon or AA uh, I went to uh, we lived in Claremont we moved we moved a lot after Paul got sober and we lived five places in six years and I turned my will and my life over to the care of God in everything except moving and if God wants me to move, he's going to have to move by himself because I'm not moving anymore. That's a big job. And in fact, uh, in one of our moves, we moved up to Claremont where they have the Claremont Colleges. And um, I was there a short time unpacking, and, and Paul said he had a bad back, so it couldn't help me. And um, so. So anyway, I noticed a film in front of my eyes, and uh, or one eye, and I, I thought, well, it would go away. I thought it was, uh, what do they call, floaters. And anyway, it didn't go away after six months or six weeks, and I thought maybe I better have it checked. Anyway, uh, I called a, a new doctor, so I called there, and the girl said, uh, how long have you had it? And I said, a month. I don't know why that made any difference, a month or six weeks. So she set my appointment up for another week, or another month is what it was. And um, so when Paul came home from work, uh, I told him. And so he got on the phone because I, I said, would you check my eyes? And he did, but he couldn't see anything. And then I put my hand over my good eye, and I could only see him from the eyebrows up. And when I told him that, he got on the phone, called the doctor to see if he could see me right away. And it turned out I had a detached retina. And they didn't know when it happened. So uh, and I ended up going to the doctor I'd gone to in Orange County. And uh, so he put me in the hospital, and I had surgery the next morning. And that was another interesting thing, too, because there was a doctor uh, that Paul knew, and I, I guess I knew him, too, not, not real well, but he was on the program. And he was very conscious of his anonymity. And he told someone else that I had broken his anonymity. I didn't even know his last name. So I thought, do I have to make amends to somebody when I haven't done anything? So I never did. And he was the assistant surgeon. And I was very grateful to him, too, because he came up and was very sweet to me before the surgery. And um, anyway, we've gotten so that we know him better. I think he's still conscious of his anonymity, though. And... Um, uh, anyway, they did the surgery, and they had told me, the doctor had told me that I would either lose the sight in that eye or I would have double vision. Well, they, I, the day of the thing, we, I went in the hospital, and I guess it was about 9 o'clock at night, and uh, they bandaged my eyes, and I was very comfortable. And by that time, I had been on Al-Anon long enough to know that I had no control how this thing was going to end up. And so I turned my will and my life over to the care of God. And I do that with everything except moving. Um, um, anyway, uh, they took me down to surgery the next day. Like I say, it ended up that uh, 
that I I didn't have double vision and I, I lost a little sight in that eye but I never did have the double vision and for that I'm grateful um, anyway and then we were living in a new place and uh, I didn't know anybody there and um, so I didn't get to some Al-Anon meetings for a while so it, it kind of surprised me because a year went by and I probably had only been to half a dozen meetings where I was used to going three times a week and uh, it was amazing to me how quickly I reverted back to the way I'd been before so I know that I can't quit going to Al-Anon because I don't want to feel that way and um, so anyway um, like I said I didn't like these meetings and uh, well, the first one I didn't identify at all with the uh, with the subject. They talked about uh, what was it called? Miscarriages, and I'd never even been pregnant, so how I didn't identify with that. So I didn't go back to that one. And, and then uh, finally, Paul said to me, "Look," he said, "You better do something about it. Better find a meeting." And so I started one. And I understand that meeting is still going on. And that's been about 15 years ago. So, and then I got a lot of nice, nice groups. And as a result of that, there were a group of us from that meeting who started a al -Anon workshop up at Lake Arrowhead, UCLA. And it's still going on. And uh, it's been very successful. And uh, we have a lot of fun when we go to that. And then there have been a lot of other things. I, like I say, I didn't ever think I'd do this. Um, I was not a public speaker. In fact, when I look back at the way I was, it's a wonder anybody bothered with me because after the year, this one woman used to have the speakers come up to her house after the Saturday night meeting for Sundays. And by that time, Paul was speaking, and so people knew him, but they didn't know me. And I would sit on the couch, and then somebody would come and sit down beside me and ask a few questions, and I would answer them, and I never could think of anything to say. And then they'd float off someplace, and then somebody else would try. I guess they must have thought I was simple-minded or something. <laughs> I had no brain cells. That's the way I felt, because I didn't know what the program was. And that happened at meetings, too, where people would try to talk to me, and I just... The conversation would just stop because I couldn't think of anything to say. I remember an alcoholic woman telling me one time, I think I'd been around about four years, she said, you have changed more than anyone I've seen come on this program. So I guess I must have been pretty bad. Um, another thing, when we lived in Claremont, I used to go to Mass over at the Claremont Colleges, and the priest... All he talked about was when he drank and he didn't take a shower and he didn't do this and I thought, but he didn't like AA. He said he went to Ireland and uh, the priest asked him if he wanted to go to a prayer meeting. He said, no, that's too much like an AA meeting. But later on, I talked to another priest down in LA and he said, oh, I was just getting ready to go make an intervention on him. And I, I don't know, he must have done better. I don't know if he joined AA, but... He must have done better because they put him in charge of one of the biggest churches in Los Angeles. So I haven't heard anything about him recently. Um, let's see, what else? <laughs> um, 
Anyway, uh, one thing that he said in a sermon, which really struck me, I used to come home and tell Paul these great things this priest said, and actually they were kind of like uh, program things. He said, if you deny your emotions, you bury them alive. And I thought, that's just what I did, because I had turned off all my emotions. I didn't know how I felt. And I, it took me about three years before I suddenly realized that I didn't know how I felt. And then it took a long time for me to get in touch with what I was feeling, because I had covered it up with so many other things. And Paul and I, there certainly wasn't much communication going on with us. And on the way down to Laguna, when we go Wednesday and Saturday nights, I would ask him questions, and I never understood why he got so mad. Uh, and finally, I just would ride all the way down there and not say a word. And on the way back, we'd talk about what the speaker had said. And that's the way our communication started. And I was finally able to tell Paul how I felt rather than what I thought. And that made a big difference, too. I mean, you know, I bought this book called uh, Men Are From Mars and, and Women Are From Venus. I never read it, but I bought it for the title. <laughs> Somebody also gave me a tape of that, and I've never listened to that either. I should do that. But uh, we, we've gotten things that I never expected uh, from the program. I really, we got to meet a lot of wonderful people and... Uh, um, someone you probably knew, Chuck and Elsa, and we got to know them real well and went on a couple of vacations with them and learned a lot. And I remember when Paul's story came out in the book, Chuck said, no, it was before that, he said, don't believe your press clippings. <laughs> <laughs> and that was good advice because, um, you know, <laughs> we're just one of the common folk, <laughs> really. And... Um, I was trying to think of some of the other things that had happened to us that were great. Well, one of the things that happened, we had two adopted daughters, and the youngest one had gone away to college, and um, she came home at Christmas time and was very hostile. And I had heard at Al-Anon that you don't tell your kids, you just share with them. And I don't know, I mean, I'd heard it, but I'd never used it. And um, she came home, and she and Paul, I guess it was Saturday morning before I got up, they had had a hassle, and she left, and she was gone all day. And then Paul was going to talk that night, so we went off, and when we came back, she had been there because it was a Coke can on the, on the kitchen table. And I don't know what time she came in. But anyway, uh, the next morning I got up, and Paul had already gone to the hospital, and I sat down at the table and was having my breakfast and I was talking to her about how I felt about Paul and how I felt about her older sister and I must have talked an hour and she didn't say anything and um, anyway Paul came in from the hospital and he motioned for me to go back to the bedroom and I went back and he said what happened? He said there's a whole new atmosphere here and I, it was because I was sharing. I wasn't asking her questions. And things were different after that. I mean, it was amazing to me how it worked. Um, I guess she must have been about 19 at the time. Um, anyway, we've had a good relationship with her ever since. In fact, she had gone to school and became an occupational therapist. And I don't know how long she did this, quite a few years. 
And she moved up to San Francisco and then decided that she wanted to go to law school. And so she did this on her own. I guess she got one of those loans that they get and was one of the top ones in the class. And I, we went to the graduation, and I, I had a hard time not crying. You know, it just came out of nowhere thinking. But she was a smart girl, and I, I don't take any credit for that because she was adopted. But uh, <laughs> anyway, she... Uh, she called me a few months ago, and she has graduated now, and uh, I don't know how long it's been, maybe about four years, and this is her second job. She had started, well, I guess a year ago now, and she called to tell me uh, she had uh, gotten her third raise, I think, and said that she was going to make 101000 a year. And I said, wow. I said, I don't know where to get money when I need it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, she's done very well, and I won't talk about the other one. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, it, it's been interesting. It's an interesting life. This, uh, and I, today, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that Paul's an alcoholic so we can find this way of life. And I remember when I first came to Al-Anon, this one woman used to talk about she was grateful and happy and comfortable. And I thought, well, yeah. She had a lot of money. I thought if I had her money and I lived alone, I could be all those things too. <laughs> anyway, uh, so she was one of the old timers when I came in. Um, and I used to turn off my hearing aid, not my hearing aid, I don't have a hearing aid, but I'd turn her off when she'd talk because I didn't believe her. I didn't believe any people that, or, that talked about how wonderful it was because it certainly wasn't wonderful at our house, not in the beginning. But today I am grateful, and I, I think it's one of the best things that's ever happened. Uh, we never would have found this way of life, and it's totally different from what I expected, not just the laughter and, uh, and the things that I picked up in the beginning, but... Um, Anyway, it's a great way to go, and thank you very much.